Good to be back with you this evening, this afternoon. Thankful for your presence and, again, your, your contribution to the assembly uh, this afternoon. And as always, I hope that the things that I have to share with you from God's Word will be a benefit to you. And it will be built up in the faith by our time together in God's Word. <clears throat> so this morning I had the question uh, for our consideration, who is the Lord, to, to remind us, to uh, motivate us, to cause us to reflect and to think about that when we go through this life. And uh, this afternoon, in a similar uh, question that we have, that we find in God's Word, what is your life? So when we think about who the Lord is, um, then naturally as we consider the Lord, as we consider the Bible teachings... Uh, about who he is, what effect that ought to have on our life, on our attitude, then the next logical question is, well, what about me? And in light of that and who the Lord is, what do I need to be doing? What does my life need to be about? And we see this question posed in the scripture in the book of James chapter 4. So that'll be our, our text this afternoon as we begin our study. If you want to turn over to James chapter 4, we'll begin now there in verse number 13 of James chapter 4. The Bible says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so here in James, again, he continues with some practical Christian living day to day. How we ought to live our lives as disciples, as followers of Christ. And he comes to this idea, this mentality that we have a lot. We get going along and we get in a groove and we just assume that things are going to keep continuing the way that they do. We woke up this morning, we, we, we start the week off, Monday will come around, we'll go to work, we'll come home for work, we'll do our after work activities, we'll go to bed, we'll get up and we'll keep doing that cycle over and over through the week, through the months, through the years. And we get into that mindset that that's just going to always continue that way. And so James reminds us as followers of the Lord, that's not the case. That we don't know what our life is going to be. And he asked this question, what is your life? And then the answer, the analogy that he gives is it's like a vapor. I have a, a fairly common drive that I make in the morning. And I go across it back in Wise County. They call it River Road. We, we come, off, come off Highway uh, 114 and it connects to, to Highway 51 just a little ways over. And it goes over a, a little branch of the Trinity River. And most mornings, if you're doing that drive right about sunrise you get a good illustration of this vapor. There's, it's, it's a low spot, and there's that mist, there's that fog, there's that vapor that's just right there. And a lot of times you can watch it uh, just as the sun comes up. You can watch it vanish away. It's just light enough to see it, and within moments, it's evaporating and it's gone. And James says, that's what your life's like. It's like that mist. It's like that steam. It's like that vapor, that fog, that it's there for a little bit, and then it's gone. And he says, so you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, if we live, because that's not a guarantee, then we'll do this or that. And a lot of times, maybe young people, you think that's something that just, that's an old people saying, that's an old folks saying. They say, Lord willing, or if the Lord wills and the creek don't rise, they say things like that. Do you know that come from the Bible? That that's actually taught in God's word? That that's the mindset that we have? That we understand 
that any of our plans that we have in this life are always contingent on if our life is continued and if it's the Lord's will. And so we, we need to understand that. And James is giving us that reminder. He says, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. And so that's a reproof of the pride of life. In James, uh, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2, verse about 15 through 17, he says, all that's in the world. And he lists the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And that arrogance, that idea that I've got this certain amount of time. You know, we do that and we're taught to do that. And if you talk to a, a financial advisor, they're going to tell you, you've got a plan for that future, right? And you've got you've to have a retirement. You've got to have a plan and you've got to plan to live X amount of days. And it's fine to have a plan, but it's not okay when we get to that level, that base assumption that we've got that law, that we have some sort of guarantee, and that if somehow that we don't get that, that somehow we've been cheated or jaded, because that's not the case. We don't have that certainty, and we don't have that guarantee of lifespan. And he says to boast as if you did, and we, I, I hear people do it, you'll hear people do it, perhaps you've done it yourself. He says that's evil to boast like that. Then he comes down to the key word, therefore. Because of all these things that we just talked about, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And the, the point is, we need to get to work. We need to have a purpose. We need to be doing the things that God has put us here to do. To him that knows to do good. We've got a task, we've got work that God has given us to do. We know what it is. Yes, sometimes we need to be reminded of it. Yes, we need to assemble and, and stir each other up to remember these things. But we've got work that the Lord has for us to do. And he says to him that knows that and doesn't do it because of how short life is, because of the brevity, because of the uncertainty of life, it's sinful not to be busy doing the things that God would have us to do. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse number 5, he says, Examine yourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And so the admonition here in Corinthians is test yourself. You put yourself to the test. You know, it's commonplace in business for businesses to take inventory. That's a regular part of the process to actually count out every item that's on the shelves and to see where you're at and to see what you have, what you're supposed to have on paper and what you actually have and begin the process of reconciling those things and figure out where you're truly at. The scripture that comes to my mind, Revelation 3, verse number 17, he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, there was a disconnect between what was in their mind, what was on paper, and what was in reality on the shelf. They thought they were well-stocked and well-supplied, and when God took inventory, he saw bare shelves. He saw nothing. And he reproved them for that pride and that arrogance. And so it's necessary that we stop and we reflect and we say, what is my life? What am I about? What's my purpose? Why do I get up every day? What drives my thoughts and my actions? So when we ask the question, what is your life, there's a lot of ways that we can approach that and think about that. One important way that we approach it and we look at God's word and think about it is in terms of duration. And he talked about that vapor. Hebrews 9 and verse number 27, he says, It is appointed, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And 
We all know people, and I want you to ask yourself the question this afternoon, what type of person are you? Are you the early person or the late person? Because we all know, we, we know the late people, right? That's, we've got some of them in our families. We've got some of them, you know, it doesn't matter what time we decide to do something. They're just not going to be able to be there quite on time. And we joke around and we say, well, if, if, you know, if it's going to be at 8 o'clock, we need to tell them 7.30, right? Because they're going to be a little bit late for that appointment. And we can think of people like that. I try, in my mind, I want to be the early person. If I'm not about 15, 20, 30 minutes early, I feel like I'm late. And, you know, this morning, just a couple little things held me up. And I got here about 5 after 10. I felt like I was a little late because I like to be about 30 minutes early at, at least. And if I'm about that time, then, then I feel like I'm on time and I, I've got time to do the things that I want to do. I don't know where you're at. He said, it's appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment. And there's a couple of appointments you won't be late for. You're going to make them. They're going to be there. That's the Lord comes back. Anyway, all of those appointments will happen. And you won't miss them. You won't be late. And that life's going to be over. This life's going to be over. Your life's going to be over. And then the judgment's going to come. So when you think about that duration, you better remember these simple teachings on a daily basis that we have in God's Word. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know, the Bible is full of teachings about judgment according to works. Passage after passage after passage teaches a judgment according to works. And it's not that we're going to be judged according to all of the things that we wanted to get done in this life. We're not going to be judged according to all the great plans and schemes that we had, but rather that we're going to be judged according to what we actually did. And that's a big distinction because a lot of us, we, ha- we, have, we would love to do a lot of great things and we would love to lend a helping hand and we would love to be benevolent in lots of ways. And we, the question is, do we do those things? Do we execute those things? Are we busy about those things? In John chapter 9 and verse number 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. I must work the works of him that sent me. What a timeline. What a busy schedule. When you study the life of Jesus, you see, you see a meticulous, busy schedule. People would come to him and they'd ask him things and he would say, what, what, it's not my hour, it's not time. And he would have those responses that showed a, a very busy schedule, a very busy timeline. And you think about the, the bulk of what we have and the teachings of Jesus, we have in that narrow window of about three and a half years. From about the time that he was 30 till about the time that he died on that cross, right? And so we saw a very brief window. I must work the works of him that sent me. The night comes when no man can work. You can look at that several different ways. The night can be the end of this life. The night can be the seasons of life. You know, the, uh, there's, there's a point where the physical hard type of labor that we might do in our youth, maybe our bodies are physically unable to perform later in life. Maybe you just look at it on a day-to-day basis and say, you know, that we've got to rest. We've got to shut down. Whatever the case is, there's a limited window to get the work done. And so Jesus showed that mindset, I've got to get the work done while I can. I visited with an old man that was dying of cancer, and he said, you know, my daddy used to tell me, he said, you've got to pick the grapes while they're on the vine. 
And that was an old, one of those old-timer sayings. And that was the point is, you've got to get while the getting's good. You've got to do the work when it can be done. A lot of those windows will be open and quickly shut. And so we've got to realize that brevity, that brief window. And we've got to seize the opportunity. In Job 14 and verse number 2, he says, Man that is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth as a shadow and continueth not. And you think about those analogies and those illustrations there. And that's one of the problems. He says, man, that's born. there's few days. That's one of the problems is there's just a limited amount of time. And I always think of the paycheck illustration back when you, when you were young and it was just you and you got your paycheck and you went and cashed it. And there you were in, in, in your wallet, you know. And at first you're rich and, and you can afford everything. And then as the week goes on and, and there's less and less money and there you, that money starts getting a little bit more valuable, right? And you have to start being a little bit wiser with it. That's why you hear old people say, you know, the time just goes by so fast. You know what the reality is? The time goes by at exactly the same rate. It's a measure of the rate of change. That's, that's why we have, that's why clocks and watches and all that stuff works. Because that, that doesn't change, it's constant. But the reason we say time goes by faster as we get older is because we realize how valuable the time is. Because it's hard for much time to go by without realizing the value that it has in it. Besides the shortness of the days, there's that problem. There's full of trouble. There's all these distractions, all these obstacles that are going to come up. Health problems are going to come up. Things that are completely out of our control. And we talked about natural disasters and wars and rumors of wars. And there's all these obstacles that are constantly going to be working against us. And so we've got to realize the effect that the world around us has on our schedule. And constantly be back to that mindset of, I've got to get this work done. I have to get these good things that God wants me to do done. Because the window's going to be closed, the door's going to be shut. And Job 9, verse number 25, he says, My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of a reed, like an eagle swooping on prey. And King James says they, they're swifter than a post. I think the New King James says a messenger, and, and ESV says a runner. And that was the idea of this, this guy. You know, back in, in the really old days, that was a, a, a job for somebody who was really fast, really swift on their feet. They were a messenger. They were a postman. And so they would take that handwritten message or whatever it was, and just like uh, the, the runners that run the track run with that baton, they would run to deliver that message. And he says, that's what my days are like. They go by like that, that really fast athlete that's zooming with a message. He uses another uh, example. They, they go by like skiffs of a reed. And, and King James says, uh, New King James says, swift ships. That idea of just a boat that's going down, uh, that's moving swiftly across a speedboat. We might think of it as an illustration today that just zooms by. I was in the mountains one time and come across a river and there were some people white water rafting. And, you know, we hadn't seen any people in several days. We were backpacking. And all of a sudden, here's these people that go by on these inner tubes, and then they're gone. That was a brief interaction. I was in the, in the mountains in another location at one point doing some church work. We were visiting folks. We went over a mountain road, and there was some kind of varmint. I honestly don't remember if it was a squirrel or something about that size. And this blur just came by. And 
Right after that, I, for a brief few seconds, I saw a bald eagle lift that, whatever that animal was off and took him away. And it was, you know, you see those things on TV, and you go, oh, that's really, when it happens right in front of you, you go, wow. And that's why I was just kind of in awe. And, I was, and that happened in a few seconds. And that's the example that he uses. He says, that's what your life's like. There's this blur that comes in, and then there's a glorious few minutes, moments, seconds, whatever it is, and then it's gone away. Over and over and over and over, the Bible is telling us and reminding us, you don't have very long. Get things done. So we've got to think about our purpose, why we're here, what we're doing. Genesis 5 and 25, when Methuselah had lived 187 years, think about that. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. That's a long time to live, but it gets better. He says Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. That's a long time to live. He says thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. And you know what happened then? And he died. That's a long time to live. It's a long time to live. You know what a lot of scholars think, a lot of scholars say when you read and study about Methuselah, they think he died in the year of the flood. I don't know. I'm not super good at all that math and and timelines and all that stuff. If he did or somewhere around about there, the year before, the year after, what difference does it really make? But he lived a long, long time and then he died. Acts chapter 10, verse number 38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So we, in the New Testament, we read about Jesus. It says in John 21, verse number 25, it says, There was also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So we have Methuselah, who lived 969 years and then he died. And you know, that's pretty much what we have about Methuselah. Pretty much the information we have about him. And then we have Jesus Christ who lived 33, 33 and a half years. And he says the world couldn't contain the books of all the things he did. It's not about how long you have. It's about what you do with the time you get. So you've got to get better. And, that's, and the Jesus got things done because his mindset, his mentality was, I have to work. I've got to, to work. I worked for an old rancher, farmer, growing up. And most mornings we started off at the parts house. And we were out in the middle of nowhere up in the Texas Panhandle. And it was about a 20-minute drive to a little parts house in Morris, Texas, if any of you might know where that is. It's just a, a parts house in the middle of nowhere by some grain elevators. And we would get whatever parts we needed to fix whatever got broken down the day before. And there's always this group of men sitting around a table drinking coffee and telling stories. And every morning that we went in there, the man that I worked for, his name was Frank, and I'd say, Frank, sit down and have some coffee with us. And I was always kind of eager and always hoping that eventually he'd sit down and have some coffee with him because then I wouldn't have to work. And his answer was always the same. He'd always say, oh, I ain't got near enough time for that. And he had a mindset that he had work to get done. And he got stuff done. And incidentally... That man's farm was growing and expanding while a lot of other farms were dying and being sold, being traded off. 
He had a mindset that work had to be done, and so work got done. If work's going to get done, we have to have the mindset that Christ had that says, I've got to work the works of the Father while it's day. And then you can look at people, and you can think of people, and you can say, they're just so so productive. They're getting so much done because they have a mindset. They've made up their mind to get things done. In Luke 12, verse number 15, he says, He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. You know, that's not the message we teach in the world, is it? People have the stickers on their vehicles that say, He who dies with the most toys wins. And that's the work that a lot of people have to get done. It's about the accumulation of wealth. It's about getting stuff so they can have toys, so they can be the winners in this life. And that's the mindset that they have. And Jesus says, that's not why you live. That's not what your life is. It's not about piling stuff up. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then who shall those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so the summary of his life, if God was the one who picked out the words of this man's tombstone, is one word, full with an explanation point. And that's how he summarized his life. Your life's over, and here's your label, full. How many people, how many individuals will that be the tale of their life? What's your life about? If it's about the pursuit of stuff and accumulation of things, it's a wasted life. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 32, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And so the Apostle Paul addresses this, this life mentality, and he says, you know, if this life was all that there was, then yeah, that would be the mindset to have. Just have a good time and enjoy it. But he said the, the, the reason that we don't think that way is because the dead do rise. And that's what's taught in the scripture. There is a resurrection. And we've already read that. In Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break through and steal. And so we have to be busy laying up treasures in heaven. And a lot of times we get distracted and we're on that first part of that sentence where we're laying up stuff in this life. And so many people say, once I get enough laid up in this life, then I'll start laying up for the spiritual things. Then I'll start serving God. And their life just isn't quite long enough. And it happens too many times. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse number 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so there's a judgment according to works, taught over and over. And Solomon says, this is man's all. This is your purpose, to fear, to honor, to respect, to reverence God and do his will. That's your all. That's man's all. 
Jesus said in John 5, 28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Again, we see Jesus teaching a judgment according to works. And it's not if there's a resurrection from the dead, it's simply when. Jesus said everybody's going to get raised up. Everyone's going to raise up. Paul said, you know, if there's no resurrection, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But there is a resurrection, and we are going to be judged after that. It's appointed to man once to die, but after this, the judgment. You're going to be buried, but you're going to be raised up, and you're going to be judged. So is that how you look at your purpose? Is that how you look at your duty? Is that what's defining your life and your days and your hours and your minutes? Matthew 7, verse number 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. And so, what about the destiny? You've got duration, you've got purpose, you've got destiny. And the Bible teaches one of two Eternal destinies. You're going to go to one eternal location or the other. Destruction and life is the way that he labeled it in this passage. In Matthew 26, verse 46, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And so when we consider the destiny, we, we notice that the duration of both destinies is eternity. Everlasting punishment and eternal life. John 3.16, everlasting life. 2 Thessalonians 1, everlasting destruction. Over and over again, we see two eternal destinations. No third option. No middle ground. In Revelation 21, verse number 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so we have to be mindful of that coming judgment and where we're going to end up, where we're going to stand in light of how we lived our life on this earth, how we spent our time, days, hours, minutes. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we spend our life in selfish pursuit, we'll get what we deserve. We'll get the wages we deserve, which is death, which is the second death, which is the lake of fire. But if we know to do good and we follow Christ, we follow his teachings, he's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man goes to the Father except by him. If we follow him and his teachings, then we can receive the gift of God. Something that we didn't earn, but that God gifts us eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 2, verse number 7, To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. And so he talks about the reward of them who patiently continue in that work. And doing the works of the Father while it's a day. In Revelation 22, verse number 1, he says, He showed me a pure river 
of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of it, the street of it, on the either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so, again, we could go on for a good while this afternoon, but we see one of two eternal destinies awaits everyone when this life is over. And what would yours be? You know, the Apostle Paul, as he was going about teaching, he made reference to some of of the poets of of the day that he lived in. I saw this poem, and I, I looked it up, and I looked for the author of this poem so I could properly note that. And it was attributed to multiple different authors. So evidently, over the years, several people have claimed this, or maybe they've adapted a word or two. I don't know. I don't know who wrote the poem, so uh, I'll leave that up to you. But we see our own poets trying to relate this exact same concept that we're learning about in God's Word. When they say, The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at later early hour. To lose one's wealth is sad indeed. To lose one's health is more. To lose one's soul is such a loss, and no man can restore. The present only is our own. Live, love, toil with the will. Place no faith in tomorrow, for the clock may then be still. And that's somebody that's eloquent, somebody that's good with words, trying to describe what we've been reading from God's word this afternoon. You don't know when the clock's going to stop for you. None of us know that. What really matters is that we live, that we work, that we toil with a will, that we have a purpose, that we have a plan, that we have a desire, and that's to do the work of the Father while it's day, knowing that the night comes when no man can work. In Ecclesiastes 2.18, the wise man said, as he examined his worldly pursuits, he said, Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it to the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and knowledge and equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This is also is vanity and a great evil. You know, a lot of times people work really hard for this idea of what they're going to leave to their children, what they're going to leave for the next generation, what mark they're going to leave on the world. And Solomon looked at that and he said, somebody's going to get all that stuff that you worked for. And they didn't work for it as hard as you did. And they didn't care about it as much as you cared about it. When he said it's vanity and vexation of spirit, you're chasing after the wind. You have a goal that will ultimately be unfulfilling. And I know that the scripture teaches that a, that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children. It talks about being prudent and about the benefits and the blessings of that. And that certainly prudent, godly living can bless those future generations with, with whatever might remain or what might 
uh, be accumulated in this life. But is that your purpose? Is that your goal? Have you thought about the vanity of that pursuit? And Solomon wanted us to understand that and brings that to our attention. Finally, this afternoon in John chapter 4, verse number 34, Jesus said unto them, My meat, my food, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. We look at the the workforce today, and I make these recent observations of almost every business in our little town has has a help wanted sign in the window. Everybody's, everybody's hiring. And you talk to these people that run these businesses, and they say, what's the, what's the deal? What's the problem? And they say, well, nobody, nobody wants to work. I don't, somebody wants to work, just not very many. It's not an absolute, but they're having a, a problem. The world's having a problem with people that want to work. And there's a complex equation there. I'm not going to get into all of that this afternoon. But you talk to them, and they'll say, you can't find people that will finish a job find lots of people that'll do parts of a job certain percentages of a job you just can't hardly find people that'll finish and jesus said it's my food it is my food to do god's work and not just to start it but to finish it and so as he hung there on the cross what did he say he said it's finished he had work to do he had a task to do he had an objective a goal and he labored And got that accomplished. What does he say to us? Say not ye, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap whereupon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye entered into their labors. Wherever you might be at in that equation, you've got to do your work for the next crew to be able to do their work. My father-in-law is a cotton farmer up there around the Lubbock, Texas area, and well, I understand the, the white fields to harvest. I grew up working on wheat farms, and we, I, I understand to have a harvest, you have to have a planting season. And You have to have the cultivation and the irrigation that happens in the middle. And you have to have all the stages of that. And if one crew doesn't do their job, then there's no work for the next crew. And so we have a brief window. And instead of worrying about what stuff we're going to pile up for the next generation, let's have a mindset about what work of the church, what planting for the Lord that we're going to do for the next generations to harvest. A lesson jurors this afternoon. If you have a spiritual need, we never like to close a service without extending the Lord's invitation. If you need to be obedient to the Lord in baptism and you've not done that for whatever reason, this congregation stands ready to assist you in that obedience to the Lord. If you've done that and you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you'll let that be known by having a seat on one of his front pews while together we stand and sing the song's been selected. Just as I am.